Misfits Audio presents Nowhere Fast, written by Colin Thornton, read by Russell Gold, and produced by Mathieu Blondin. Standing on deck, staring at a flotilla of sailboats marooned ten feet in the air, I come to the inescapable conclusion that something is very wrong. It could be me. I've been wrong before, once or twice, and mornings are not my best time of day. Still, the calm is unnerving. No halyards pinging against the mast, no waves rolling underneath the hull, no breeze on my skin, just an eerie calm that makes the queasiness in my stomach that much more urgent. Nothing says defeat like a sailboat propped up on stands. One day it will be me, prostrate and helpless, propped up, plugged in, teetering on the edge of whatever comes next, waiting for my spare parts to arrive. A hollow thumping on the hull snaps me back to the moment. Yo, Jesse, you awake? I grab a stanchion and peer over the gunwale to see Lance staring up at me from the pavement below. Your propeller shaft is in. You'll be out of here today. What took so long? He shrugs and walks away. I had a deadhead two weeks ago. Limped back into the marina, they put me up on sticks to examine the damage. Broken propeller, bed shaft, and a busted skeg. She's fine under sail, but under power, anything over five knots vibrates the boat like a cocktail shaker. Out of here today. I gotta move. Applebee Party of Four arrives tomorrow, and all I have on board are stale crackers, an ancient can of beef stew, and the liquor cabinet is dangerously low. On the way into town, I pass the statue that marks the entrance to the park. A black man, bare-chested, one fist thrust in the air triumphantly, the earther holding a conch-shell trumpet to his lips, the word freedom chiseled into the stone pedestal. A thick canopy of palm fronds shades the fruit vendors, shoeshine boys, cabbies, and bus drivers below. Two sunburned tourists rest on a bench, panting like dogs, fanning each other with a newspaper. The street musician plays Bob Marley on the steel drums, a lazy melody that somehow melds perfectly with whatever song the choir is singing in the school across the square. I smell ganja. The usual ganging hanging around the fruit stand, joking and toking. One says, Good bush, Jess! Smells good, and I'm tempted, but it's early. I've got chores to do, and my resolve is still firm. Save some, I'll be back. Firm, but not solid. <laughs> One puff, then I gotta go. As long as I'm here, I order a banana smoothie with an egg and two sugars. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, that's what they say. Jesse! Everyone in the park turns to look at the thin man with the big voice. Jamal lives in a haze of drugs, prescription and recreational. Add that to the residual effects of whatever radioactive poison he absorbed in Kuwait, and every conversation is a mystery. Flapping his hands furiously, he points at an empty bench. Sit, 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 sit! He sits facing me, opens a pad of cheap newsprint, pulls a stubby lump of charcoal out of his shirt pocket, and starts to draw. He sells portraits for a living. A meager living, to be sure, but his only source of income. At one point, everyone here, even that old iguana munching on a banana peel, has been drawn by Jamal. When he's hyper, like today, his words pour out faster than his brain can organize them. An entire sentence in one mouthful. His eyes rise to mine expectantly, waiting for an answer to a question I wasn't aware of being asked. Charlotte! 
I'm gonna be with Charlotte. Ah, uh, this again. Charlotte is going to leave her husband and live with him. A fine woman, I say. Somewhere inside his chaotic mind, my words connect. His eyes stop darting around and look into mine. I congratulate him again, although I really don't know if Charlotte is a woman or the city where she lives. He rips the sheet off the pen and hands it to me. It looks more like a ball of wool attacked by a pair of kittens than a portrait of me. Nonetheless, I cradle it in my hands as if it was an original Picasso. Flusher broke. I always have a few bucks for Jamal. Semper Fidelis, Jaybird. Semper Fi. Dogs and chickens wander willy-nilly down the middle of Shore Street. Blue diesel smoke from the taxis and trucks hangs in clouds above the swarm of locals and tourists. Always tourists, overdressed, laden with shopping bags, crisscrossing the street, heads wobbling around on their stems, swiveling this way and that, looking for things to buy. Up the street I see a familiar shape. Moira, shit, she's seen me. How can that be? We're a block apart. She has a speck in a crowd, one small fish in a school of thousands... And everyone else on the street seems to have vanished, leaving a clear sightline between us. Tell me there's no such thing as telepathy. She glares at me as we walk past each other. No love in those eyes now. I apologized. What do you want? At the top of the hill, I cross the street, casually glancing over my shoulder to see if she too is looking over hers. But no, she's gone. Bloody hell. The blast jolts me to my core. I whirl around to see the truck driver's ruddy jowls jiggling with wheezy laughter. Yeah, yeah, everyone's a comedian. Fuckhead. God, I need a drink. 11.30 and the bar is almost full. You want to eat tube steaks cooked with a blowtorch by a street vendor in New York? Go ahead. Roasted chestnuts in Toronto, hush puppies in Hatteras, bon appetit. Give me an ice-cold beer and grilled tuna in a Caribbean beach bar any day. You don't even have to wear shoes. I take a table on the sand, and the waitress brings me an ashtray. Usual? she asks. I smile and nod. My hand shakes as I light my cigarette. That scene with Moya rattled me more than I thought. A beer should take the edge off. You look thirsty! Whoever's talking is lost in the sun's glare, invisible until he sits down. Can I join you? he asks after the fact. I'm always thirsty, I say. Ordinarily, Ben would be watching tourists on the beach, talking about scuba diving, flirting with the women. Not today. When my beer arrives, he clinks his bottle on mine. I'm leaving tomorrow, Jesse. Go away. I've been thinking. In my experience, thinking about anything too much only makes it worse. As of tomorrow, I'll have been here three years. Three years exactly. He takes a long pull on his beer. Three years is a break boundary. A what? People leave after three or stay for twenty. He says, counting on his fingers. Twenty-five in your case. Has it really been that long, I wonder? If I don't go back to Maine tomorrow, I'll be stuck here. What's in Maine? It's home. My family's there. I could finish my degree, get a job, make a life a real life. I mean, don't take this personally, but you've been here since... since before I was born, and what have you got to show for it? A 42-foot Gemini cat and a thriving business. Right. Like I'm gonna find Jesse's Caribbean charters on NASDAQ. Ben raises his empty bottle to catch the barmaid's eye and gestures for two more. I'm sorry, Jesse, it's just, I don't know, anxious, confused. There's dick all in Maine, but there's even less here. 
People come down here for the weather, the vibe, the beach, cheap beer, good weed, the myth, you know, and the summer. It's a trap. It snows in Maine for eight months. Two months of summer and two months of sloppy hockey. Mosquitoes with shoulders. How'd you end up here? It was an accident. I woke up one morning on a sailboat, won at playing poker. At this point, I'm not sure if I won or lost. Like I said, nothing improves by thinking about it. We drink without speaking. I watch him scan the beach, taking a last wistful look at this tourist town, hotels on the hillside, a fringe of palm trees hanging over the shoreline. With a sigh, he pushes himself to his feet, puts ten bucks under his empty bottle, and reaches out to shake my hand. I'll think of you in hurricane season. He laughs and leaves. I feel strangely depressed, so I order another beer, light a cigarette, and let my thoughts float away. Twenty-five years, two boats, two wives, and God knows how many girlfriends. Moira, Lee, Marilyn, what's her name from Canada, the redhead, and... A shrill of laughter interrupts. A young man is playing with a little girl on the beach, dangling her tiny feet in the water and lifting her skyward in a peal of giggles every time a wave rolls in. Panic. I check my watch. October 17th. Today's her birthday. Or was it yesterday? She must be 20 or 21 now. 22? Damn, I should have sent something, a card or a letter, invite her down for a sale. She'd probably throw it away. It's not like I've been there for her like a real father. She has a real father now. Not real like me, but real like someone who remembers her birthday. She may be the only person alive that I actually love, and we don't even know each other. No way I can lug a week's groceries from the market all the way to the marina, so I catch a ride from one of the cabbies I know. After he helps me unload, I try to pay him. He shakes his head and shoves his hands into his pants pocket. While he's stuck there, I slide a few bucks into his shirt pocket. He understands. We make money when the tourists come and help each other out through the off-season. Spend it when you got it, scrimp and borrow when you don't. I grab four bags in each hand and walk down the pier, hoping to find my boat before my fingers fall off. There's a large, no, make that huge, yacht in the slip by the fuel pump. One of the young guys who works here is talking to a man about my age, obviously the owner, only wealthy people with yachts dressed like that. Looks like he stepped out of a magazine. The GQ man, decked out in his wealthy mariner's wardrobe, a breezy sun-kissed blonde by his side. They're probably wearing a thousand dollars worth of clothes each. How can people afford to live like that? His lines probably cost more than my whole boat and I don't even want to think about his fuel bill. All three of them turn my way, drawn by the sound of my liquor bottles clinking with every step. GQ man scans me up and down and returns to his conversation. Blondie tilts her head, looking at me as though she was examining an exotic insect. As I clink closer, I can't help overhearing. You still going to university in the fall? Oceanography at Woods Hole. Got a scholarship. Impressive. GQ man reaches into his pocket, takes out a jeweled money clip, and peels off two Benjamin Franklins. We need more kids like you on this island, he says. People with ambition. Kid? He's 20 years old. I was in the Marines at his age. For some reason, I can't help feeling that GQ's generosity is also a warning about following the likes of me. Ah, screw it. I have no time to fuss about this guy, his money, or his opinions. As I reach my boat, I hear Lance calling. Got a lead for you. 
I put down my bags and wiggle my fingers, trying to get the circulation back while he tells me the news. Old man Rossetti finally packed it in. The Weston is looking for a new charter captain. Steady money, rich clients, big tips. You should check it out. I'll put in a good word for you. I thank him, tell him I will, and this time I think I actually mean it. Hurry, though, Jess. Tomorrow everyone will know about it. And with that, he hands me an envelope, my bill. This is going to hurt. I have a charter coming in tomorrow, Lance. Appleby, party of four. I can pay you next week. You'll need more than one Appleby to pay this one. Cleaning the boat, stowing groceries, checking the scuba gear, getting everything ready for the charter arriving tomorrow has kept my mind off what's been nagging at me all afternoon. Now the chores are done, my unease has returned. Sitting in my chart desk, I pull open the top drawer and start peeling back the corners of papers, shoving boxes aside, rummaging through the accumulation of junk. A silver cigarette case with a dozen rolled joints. I'll take one of those now. My dad's opal ring, a jackknife, Polaroids, a pillbox with some scribbly Arabic writing. It's supposed to say Allah is great. Could say Yankee dog for all I know. I shake it and listen to the rattling inside. Two bullets the doctors took out of my chest. My other souvenir from Kuwait. Don't want to think about that now. Next drawer. There it is. Jesse Epps, General Delivery, St. John, Virgin Islands, 00831. Four Jimi Hendrix stamps in the corner. Hesitantly, I pull out the card. Growing old is like being penalized for a crime you didn't commit. You got that right. Inside. Happy 50th, Dad. Below that, a handwritten phone number. 50. Three years ago. I leave the envelope on the desk, pour a drink, and go topside. Purple and black thunderheads tower over the horizon, the edges rimmed by the last rays of sunlight, white threads of lightning crackling below. Some poor sailor is getting pounded right now. A toast to you, buddy, whoever you are. Glad I'm here, though. Moored in a safe harbor with a drink and a joint on a gentle fall night. It's why I stay. Why we all stay. There must be a thousand people like me in Cruise Bay. Came for a year, stayed for thirty. What did Ben say? It's a trap. My glass is empty. Too early for bed, so I go back down into the cabin to fix another drink, and there it is. My birthday card. Laying on the desk, begging no demanding attention. I grab my cell, hit a number, then stop. It's late, I say to myself. I'll call tomorrow. But I know that's not true. Tomorrow something else will come up. Tomorrow there'll be some emergency. A grommet or a gasket will need to be replaced. Tomorrow the Applebee's will be here. Tomorrow it will rain. Tomorrow it won't rain. Anything that can wait until tomorrow can wait until the day after tomorrow. So relax. Manana is soon enough for me. No ambition, that's what Moira said. Bitch. How did I get on this tangent? God damn it, this is all fucking Ben's fault. I stop and look into the darkness. The storm has passed to the south. The new moon shines in a star-speckled sky, a thin white sliver reflected on the water. I feel the waves rolling under the boat, hear them crash onto the beach, pause, and whoosh back to the sea. As steady as a clock. Crash, whoosh, crash, whoosh. Another season begins. Number 26. Suddenly, it's as clear to me as that new moon up there. This is it. Today, not tomorrow. If there's anything I want to do with my life before I check out, I have to start now. I pick up my phone and call. It's ringing. 
You have been listening to Nowhere Fast, written by Colin Thornton, read by Russell Gold, and produced by Mathieu Blondon for Misfits Productions. All rights reserved. <laughs>